SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. that you drove the wheels off of in high school, cruising for chicks and going to the game on Friday nights, then forgetting where you parked it till Saturday morning and you had to get your buddy to drive you around looking for it. I think I see it, man. This is the Sports Grid Radio Network. Hour two on a Monday for pushing the odds here on Sports Grid Radio Channel 204. Welcome in the Sports Map Radio audience coming up here on the other side. It is a Monday. Lots to get to. Matt Peralt with you. You can follow me on Twitter at Sports Talk. Matt or the show on Twitter at Pushing the Odds. We will get some baseball conversations coming up at 40 past the hour with Craig Goldstein who covers MLB about the Giants and others have you have you been paying attention to the Giants we, we spent so much time on the Padres and the Dodgers we really didn't and haven't talked nearly enough about what's going on in San Francisco and that pitching staff and really after years of beating being pretty mediocre the Giants are a legitimate playoff team and th- you know this is not a small sample size here we're heading towards the 4th of July which is the second post of the Major League Baseball season and you know, you get to Memorial Day, then you get to July 4th, and then you get to Labor Day. Well, the, the Giants are passing the eye test right now with the way they're playing. So we'll get more into that coming up here at 40 past. I, I do want to say a couple quick things here before we get away from it, and we'll get heavily into basketball coming up with the ejection of Nikola Jokic uh, in the opening line, and then we will talk baseball coming up at 40 past. So I want to squeeze in some hockey here just one second because I've had this argument on air here on SportsGrid with Gabe Morenci and online on Twitter with Canadians. And it really is interesting. Like, there's this attitude, and and I don't really hate it. I mean, you should love your country, and you should love what happens in your country, that Montreal and Las Vegas are somehow on the same level when it comes to entertainment and when it comes to distractions and weather. I, I, I just, I don't understand this. Like, this argument that the Montreal Canadiens coming to Vegas after being locked up in Canada forever and not being vaccinated, not having vaccines available, that Montreal somehow is like Las Vegas right now. I, I don't know if people have watched or are paying as close of attention as you should be when it comes to this, or maybe the news reports in Canada just aren't as accurate as they should be for whatever reason, but we are 100% open here in Nevada, in Las Vegas. I mean, open, open, like thousands of people open, indoor concerts open, full capacity on bars and restaurants, full capacity on casino floors, full capacity for bookings in hotels. We have the mask mandate is gone. Wearing masks is something that is not happening anymore here. Now, Our vaccine rate here in Nevada is quite high. It's really good. We vaccinated. I mean, there was an adult entertainment strip club here in Vegas that was advertising that they're 100% vaccinated. Everybody who works there has received their COVID-19 vaccine. We're not the same. (laughs) Like, we're just not. And I totally get that people are saying, well, you know, Montreal has got its distractions too. Sure. But these are young men. And, and, and I hate to keep on talking about this because I feel like I'm putting way too much emphasis on the arena, on the crowds, and coming to Vegas. But I do think it's a big deal 
when you're a young man and you've been, you know, you haven't left your country in a really long time, you're used to leaving your country consistently, you're a millionaire, and you've been told you can't do this and you can't do that, and you're coming to Vegas where we're opening up pool parties and opening up pool and day clubs all over the place. There's loud music and partying happen all over, and you're in this bubble, and you can't do anything. This is not a one-in and one-out, like I'm flying to Vegas for a night, playing a game, and flying back out. That's not what's happening here. You're here, if you're the Canadiens, you're here, and you've been here for a couple of days. You will play game one, and then you'll have a day off in between, and then you'll play game two. There are going to be distractions, and I'm not saying that's going to be the end-all, be-all, but there is a reason why FanDuel, not just Vegas books, but FanDuel, is listing the Vegas Golden Knights as minus 460 favorites to win this best-of-seven series. That is the biggest and most lopsided number over the last 31 years for a Stanley Cup semifinal. Yes, it has a lot to do with Marc-Andre Fleury. It has a lot to do with Vegas's four lines, but it also has a lot to do with the fact that Vegas has home ice. And Vegas beat Montreal, sorry, beat the, the Colorado Avalanche at home for three games, and they went 3-0, and they knocked out Colorado, the best team on paper in the NHL. Montreal is coming in here, and Vegas already beat a better version of Montreal. That's Minnesota. The Wild play a very similar, frustrating style with a great goaltender, okay? When you're playing in front of 2,500 crickets, and you're taking on just Canadian teams, you get lulled into this sense of, like, we're on the same level. Like, everyone thought Winnipeg and Toronto was going to beat Montreal, Okay, Toronto should have. Toronto's a bunch of choke artists. And Winnipeg was down their top two centermen. All right? You can understand what happened. How did Montreal get here? Right? I like Montreal. I bet Montreal during the regular season to win more than 65 and a half points. I bet they're over. They came woefully short of that number. They got hot in the playoffs. Their youngsters have played well. They're down one defenseman here tonight. And you've got 17,000 screaming fans. The idea that, oh, Montreal turns that into a positive. Oh, okay. That's like talking yourself into something there, okay? That's like going like, well, you know, they're going to be really jacked up as well to play. Um, Is that a good thing, by the way? They play a style where they want to frustrate you and clog up the middle and block shots and not let you get going offensively. You want to play open? You want to go more wide open with Vegas? Good luck. (laughs) You're playing right into Vegas' hands. I'm not saying Montreal is a speed bump, but I am saying to Canadians, you need to realize the numbers that are coming out from the books. There is a reason why they are putting up those numbers. It's not through disrespect, okay? And it's not just a Vegas book saying, oh, they're just shading towards Vegas because they're based in Vegas. FanDuel has it at minus 460. Minus 460. More to come here on a Monday's Pushing the Odds. Don't move. We'll get into baseball and some basketball coming up. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hi, 
listening to Pushing the Odds. Powered by O'Reilly Auto Parts and Rocket Mortgage. And now, out of Las Vegas, Nevada, by way of Boston, Massachusetts, here he is, Matt Perron! Very good night betting on UFC 263. The only thing I got wrong was... A parlay thanks to Brandon Moreno's victory that got blown up. Heck of a win. First Mexican-born UFC champion. As Moreno, I don't know what was going on in the mind and in the preparation. I, Devin Figueredo looked tremendous on the scale, but in the octagon, he looked timid and afraid in some in some ways of what Moreno was going to be capable of doing to him and a submission victory for Brendan Moreno incredible victory I had that fight going you know not going the distance so that was good but then I had I had Figueredo on a parlay but Leon Edwards survived the last round that's the best way of describing what happened he was up for nothing and then he got clipped and Nate Diaz added more onto his legacy of being an absolute warrior that with one and a half minutes to go in the fifth round, he started to tune up Leon Edwards, and Leon Edwards got lucky to be able to survive. What I can't figure out is why Nate Diaz did not attack to try to get Leon Edwards out of there. I thought he let him off the hook personally, and then in the main event, it went exactly how I thought it was going to go. Israel Asanya just piecing up Marvin Vittori, goes to the cards, Izzy wins, wins by decision. I had that at plus 160, and so that cashed. So uh, I've had some good days in the UFC. That was one of my better ones uh, for UFC 263, and if that plus one, uh, 145 parlay had cashed, it would have been even better, but I'll take a 3 and one mark with two two wins and plus money coming in on that, which was, which was really great to see. Uh, before we get to the hard four, real quick, this story just came out for NBC, and this is really important because it's remarkable that we are watching our vaccination rates go down really slowly. I mean, really quickly, rather, people just not getting vaccinated. Virtually all hospital patients who have COVID have one thing in common, headline on NBC News. They're unvaccinated. One doctor in New York said, I haven't seen anyone that's been fully vaccinated become critically ill which is the whole point of the vaccine, right? You're going to you can become positive with COVID even with the vaccine. My cousin over the weekend was diagnosed with COVID and she's vaccinated. And her daughter brought it home from daycare. And so her daughter got COVID at daycare from another child and my cousin and her husband, I don't think my 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 husband, well, what do you call your husband of your cousin? I don't know what, what, what do you call that, but uh, he supposedly has not tested positive. He's asymptomatic if he's got it. He has not tested positive yet for COVID. My cousin did test positive, and their daughter tested positive, and she got it at, at daycare. But they're, I mean, they have very light symptoms. I mean, they're sick, but they have very light symptoms. And that's the whole point. You can get, vac- you can get COVID even after you've been vaccinated. It's the level of sickness that you're dealing with. And I just, people who aren't getting vaccinated, you're preventing us from getting back entirely 100% and getting rid of this virus. And so we don't have to keep worrying about variants and whatever else that may happen in the future when it comes to COVID. And hopefully these things are free and hopefully people will start to take advantage of this. And we all, we're going back. But the problem is we have about, 
I think it's what 60% of Americans who have all received at least one vaccine dose and like 48% of Americans are a hundred percent vaccinated. And yet when you go out, it's nearly a hundred percent of people without masks on. So there's a, there's a number difference, a, a, a number problem there that we need to rectify. And hopefully more stories like that, that look at <laughs> people who are unvaccinated. They're the ones who are still dealing with COVID. If you've got the vaccine, We're past it. We're moving on from COVID-19, thankfully, after the year we've all had. Our four big stories. We start this hour with the hard four. It's time for the hard four on Pushing the Odds with Matt Peralt. Well, the Brooklyn Nets have been the odds-on favorite to win the NBA title for most of the year. But the likelihood of that happening is in serious jeopardy after Kyrie Irving severely injured his ankle in Game 4 against the Milwaukee Bucks. Brooklyn was a two-point favorite yesterday, and they got crushed in the second half without Kyrie Irving and James Harden. Both are doubtful to play in game number five. If Milwaukee wins, they'll go home with the chance to knock out the Brooklyn Nets. Coach Steve Nash was asked about how long Kyrie could be out. I have no idea, you know, what, what's going to happen with Kai in the coming days. Um, you know, we'll, we'll cross our fingers and hope that uh, it's, it's better than... than um, you know, I don't know, better than what? Better than uh, missing the next game? Uh, you know, it's tricky with Kev. We, we all got to pitch in. We all got to play together. We got to move the ball. And, and I thought tonight we got a little single-minded looking for Kevin every time. Puts a little bit too much pressure on him. It makes us a little more predictable, I thought, you know, which which puts a lot of burden on him. So we got plenty of guys who have stepped up in absences this year and done very well. And I think we got to rely on each other to play a team game, move the ball. And, of course, we're looking for Kevin as much as we can, but uh, within reason. Bad, bad offense without Kyrie. Number two, the Phoenix Suns are headed to the conference finals after sweeping the Denver Nuggets yesterday. The Suns were led by Chris Paul, 37 points as a 36-year-old, but everyone's talking about the ejection of the MVP. Nikola Jokic, opening line coming up on that in the next segment. The big man wound up and smacked campaign in the face, got ejected. The series in that game was effectively over at that point. Michael Malone, coach of the Nuggets, was asked about the ejection. Well, I still haven't processed it, to be honest with you. You know, game four, an elimination game at home, before they had determined their, their decision on the flagrant two, I watched a replay myself on one of the coaches' computers behind the bench, um, and I just assumed, and we all know you should never assume, uh, but I assumed it would be a, a flagrant one at the worst. From my vantage point and watching the replay, I did not think... Uh, it was a non-basketball play with malicious intent. Number three, the Jazz are expected to have at least one of their two guards. Mike Conley Jr. may be out again. Donovan Mitchell most likely is playing. Clippers are minus five home favorites here tonight. But Quinn Snyder credits the Clippers for elevating their game in game three, which led to the victory for L.A. You know, the, the Clippers really raised their level last game. Um, you know, at the end of the first quarter, we, we had, you know, an open look that we passed up and then and missed a little floater and then, um, which could have given us the lead and then had a breakdown defensively. I thought that that was deflating. And, you know, then I think they, they continued to pick up their level. And um, even, in, you know, late, you know, we, we, we hung in there and hung in the game. So I I thought, you know, that was good. 
fourth and finally the temperature tonight in vegas at the time of puck drop between vegas and montreal is expected to be 106 degrees that would be the hottest temperature on record for a vegas golden knights home game in their four-year history when they made the cup we barely saw temperatures at 100 degrees we'll see what t-mobile arena can do with those hot temperatures outside with frozen ice on the inside but vegas is a monster favorite to knock out montreal the minus 460 number at the fanduel sportsbook is the largest stanley cup semifinal line over the last 31 years vegas is also a massive favorite tonight to win game one head coach pete DeBoer believes his team has gotten healthier during the postseason rare um, you know that you would get healthier as the playoffs come uh, go through it's usually the other way around but I'm not going to complain uh, I, I think with the the condensed regular season I think a lot of teams dealt with with stuff early in the playoffs and uh, and actually the schedule might be a little lighter now than, than it was for stretches uh, of the regular season so uh, you know you, you might be reaping some of the benefit of that our text line here for pushing the odds is 702751. Matt, 702751-6288. It is still 1-1, Poland and Slovakia in the 63rd minute. We will see. I think a player just got a yellow card and maybe got sent off. Maybe a red card. Uh, looks like the way that Poland, I'm not listening to the broadcast, obviously. Yeah, Polish, Poland just had a man sent off. So Poland now playing with 10 men. Red card to Poland. 1-1, Slovakia tied, but it will be 11 on 10 for the remainder of this game. 64th minute, Woo. upset brewing in Euro 2020 potentially for Group E. Opening line on Jokic getting tossed yesterday next. SportsGrid.com, betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Definitely got him in the face. Absolutely. Across the nose. See, something like this, you can break your nose. Yeah, I, I see this being a flagrant one. It is a flagrant penalty, two on Jokic. He's ejected from the game. I'm a little surprised. I certainly had a flagrant one. But I understand where they're coming from about the windup and the follow-through across the face of Cameron Payne. And your MVP is done for the night and possibly for his season. TNT describing the scene in game number four yesterday here for our opening line on Pushing the Odds. Matt Peralt with you. By the letter of the law, that ejection was appropriate. Now, all of a sudden, I've been called a Denver hater. And I can't really figure out why. Because Vegas took on the avalanche. And I thought that Vegas would have an easier time with Colorado than they did with Minnesota, and they did. They gave the Avalanche game one, literally, and then they should have won game two, and they won the next four. Denver took on the Phoenix Suns, and I thought Denver was going to be really overmatched. And I thought Chris Paul was the MVP. 
he was the MVP of the series. He had a big, bigger impact on the Suns' season. And I know all the numbers are incredible, but Jokic is a, a big man in a, in a sport that does not care about big men. Now, Joel Embiid definitely is an exception to the rule, but where does Embiid play most of the time? He shoots threes. He doesn't want to be a back-to-the-basket center. He wants to be out there jacking threes as a seven-footer. So even seven-footers are going outside shooting, playing like guards. So I just can't sit there and say that a center who plays most of his time in the paint, it does shoot threes, but infrequently, that that guy is more valuable than Stephen Curry, that that guy is more valuable than Chris Paul. And so I get labeled a hater for that opinion. Fine. By the way, Slovakia just scored on a, on a corner kick. It's now 2-1 Slovakia. The anger that was coming on the internet from Nuggets fans was awesome. <laughs> I was laughing at it because, look, if I had been on the Nuggets, I probably would feel the same way. I felt like it had more to do with gambling media being angry knowing their bet was done than it was with actually being angry about the NBA making that decision and throwing out the MVP. Would LeBron James have gotten tossed? No. I'll give you that. It would have been a flagrant one. Jokic doesn't get that call. It turned into a flagrant two because they go letter of the law. And the game was getting chippy. I mean, look, do I think Jokic did it on purpose? Yes. Do I think he was trying to smack campaign? Not in the face. I don't think he was aiming for the face. I think he was aiming for the ball hard. He was trying to really hit down hard. And that's a seven-footer winding up hitting a much smaller player square in the face. I mean, he could have, and I think Reggie Miller's right, by saying he could have broken his nose. Absolutely, that could have happened. And so because of the intent, because of the wind-up, and because strikes to the head, that is considered a flagrant two when it's a non-basketball play. I don't think that was a basketball play. That was a frustrated big man trying to do something to spark his team. And I think he was trying to get a flagrant one. I really do. I think he wanted the call. I think he wanted to get you know, the, the, the two shots in the ball. I think he didn't believe he was going to get a flagrant two out of it. No one really thought a flagrant two was coming, including Michael Malone, the head coach, who afterwards was pretty befuddled by the call. I think it was a frustration foul. I feel Nicola probably felt the last couple of plays when he had the ball, he had not received a foul call. And, you know, he went over there to, to take a foul, which he's done plenty of times before. A lot of players do that. And I just didn't feel like uh, it warranted a flagrant two ejection because he's making a play on the ball. There was marginal contact to Cameron Payne's nose, I believe. Uh, so I was shocked. I'm still a little bit shocked that they called a flagrant two and ejected the MVP on such a play. Um, I think Mike Singer said that they, a pool reporter may have asked one of the officials, so I'd love to hear what the reply was from, those, uh, from one of the referees because uh, I'm still trying to figure out uh, the reasoning behind the ejection. You know why he got ejected. You just laid it out. Like, as the head coach, you just said your player went over there with the intent of taking a foul. It wasn't marginal contact to Cameron Payne, okay? If your campaign, it sure didn't feel like marginal contact to your face when a seven-footer cracks down on you like that. He was going for a foul, and he missed, and he got his face. The wind-up is what did it. If he just reached in and smacked down, 
he would be still in the game, or would have been still in the game. He got tossed because of the way he went about it. Frustration? Yep. And that frustration bubbled over. Did, did, a, did the referees not give him the calls because of the fact he's the MVP or the fact that it was they were allowing everything to go down low? The referees were, they really, they swallowed the whistle. And while I disagreed with numerous calls at the rim during that game yesterday, I was like, what is going on? Jokic clearly lost it. And as the MVP, you can't lose that composure. That's on you. You can't have that happen. Even if you're trying to get a call, even if you're trying to motivate your team and show passion and answer the criticism of why don't you show any passion on the court? Where is your energy? Where is your intensity? Where is your will to win? Right? All the things we've said about Jokic. He's a goofball. And he had an incredible season. But he will be an outlier when it comes to the MVP conversation, we run through the list of MVP MVPs in the NBA and the all-time greats. Jokic is an incredible player. I, I, I don't think he's an all-time great. I think he's a very, very good center. But I, we're talking about an era where we are guard-heavy, we are three-point oriented, and they gave it to a guy who is a focal point of the offense. He's the hub of the Denver offense, but without Jamal Murray they couldn't come back and they couldn't compete with the best teams in the league. The MVP really, as we've learned, is Jamal Murray. And I know people who are Nuggets fans and people who have who voted for Jokic get all fired up when they hear me say that. But it's the truth. I'm sorry. It's just the truth. And I do. I am 100% cool with the MVP becoming a full season award where the postseason matters. Because giving someone the MVP for a regular season performance isn't what we judge players on. What you do in the regular season in the NBA doesn't matter all that much. And the stars know it. Okay, You go to a game, they make their money there, the TV money and everything else. I understand that entirely. But we judge players and the greatness of players on the tournament. What do you do in the postseason? What do you do when your team is in the playoffs? And without Jamal Murray, that team came back down 3-1 twice with him in the bubble. Without him, they get swept. That's not on Jokic, okay? He played hard. He played really well. But MVPs are supposed to be able to rally the entire team and elevate and improve your team. Make others better. Magic Johnson made others better. LeBron James makes others better. Jokic doesn't do that. And that's not a knock on him. He's a center. He's not supposed to do that. That's not his role, which is why giving the MVP award to him is tough, is really, really tough. After the loss, the MVP was asked about the ejection. It's past, guys, so I, I thought I could get... I, I wanted to change the rhythm of the game. I wanted to give us some energy, maybe to change the whistle a little bit. But, so I, I tried to make a hard foul. Um, did I hit him? Did I, did I hit him? Did I didn't, didn't, did I, didn't hit him? We don't know. So I say sorry if I did because I didn't, I didn't do it on purpose. I didn't want to injure him or hit him in the head on purpose. So I, I watched the game on the, on the, uh, in the locker room to cool off, to cool off a little bit. It doesn't make sense to do that there. I'm sorry, it doesn't. He's admitting, I went over there to have a hard foul, to give us some energy, 
to spark, which essentially was what the media has been clamoring, mostly the Denver media, but national media too, clamoring for Jokic to, to show some energy, to show some excitement, to show some, some interest, some passion. And so he tried to go over there and do what they've been telling him to do in the media, which is go over there, have a hard foul, change what's been happening. You're down 0-3. Let's see what happens if I spark my team. And he missed. I mean, he couldn't even do that right. He missed and got his head. He wound up and caught the dude in the head. In his own words, it's a non-basketball move. He was going after a hard foul. He went for the ball. I'll give you that. He went for the ball. He missed. Thus the ejection. You can't miss there. You can't do that if you're the MVP. If you're trying to save your season, you can't go over there and crack a guy. And if you're going for a hard foul, make sure you aren't getting a guy's head. Because that is letter of the law, the rule. If you strike a player in the head in a non-basketball way... It's a flagrant two, and you are ejected, which is exactly what happened. If you want Jokic to stay in the game, you're asking the NBA to not follow their own rules, which happens all the time. And I'm not saying that LeBron gets ejected there or Curry gets ejected there or Kawhi gets ejected there. They do not. But Jokic is not on their level, not yet, and probably never will be on their level. Level of superstar, level of importance, to the game, to the NBA, and sure, that's bothersome, and that's annoying, but that's life. Jokic is the one to blame for that, and both Michael Malone and Nikola both admitted that what he did was intentional. Let's talk some baseball. Craig Goldstein, where are we for MLB? Little updates next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. You're listening to Pushing the Odds. Live from Las Vegas, here's Matt Peralt. Let's talk some Major League Baseball. It's been an interesting start to the MLB season. A lot of this on the sticky substance conversation. Craig Goldstein, editor-in-chief, baseball perspective, joining us here on Pushing the Odds. Craig, Matt Peralt, how are you? I'm doing great, Matt. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for the time. Okay, let's start with the starting pitchers. And what you are seeing, are you buying into this idea that pitchers are now afraid to get suspended and so they're not using the illegal substances and then that's why certain pitchers are getting hit much harder now than they were, say, a month ago? It's a little bit complicated, but broadly speaking, yes. I don't know that we can go straight in and say after a week to ten days of pitching that it's because – uh, directly because of uh, a lack of using pine tar or spider tack or some mixture of those type of things. But I do think that pitchers are 
uh, taking note of the league's stance on this. Uh, and I think they took note of it before, to be clear. The league didn't care about this kind of stuff, and so they pushed the envelope. Uh, now the league does care, and they're going to pare back on it a little bit. Uh, I do think that the way that the league is approaching it uh, could use some tweaks personally, but I do think that, that the players, that the pitchers, are looking at this and saying, uh, I'm going to cut down on what I'm doing, if not stop altogether. But, but to say that, you know, the, I, I saw Buster Olney's tweet today and that kind of thing, to say that the offensive uh, performance as we head into June is due to that completely, um, it, it might be due in part, but, but there are a lot of factors that contribute to, to offense taking off in, in the warmer summer months. Right, ball travels farther, guys are more comfortable, second time around, they've seen pitchers for a second time. I mean, all those things factor in as well, right? A hundred percent, yeah. I mean, I think the weather is a big part of it with the ball traveling farther, as as you noted. Um, You know, and it's it's guys not only adapting to, to seeing pitchers a second or third time through, but also understanding that the ball this year is different. I mean, that's, yeah. that's another thing that we're contending with. I, I mean, I think the best way to phrase this is that there are a lot of confounding factors to uh, figure out in any analysis. And so, you know, to isolate certain aspects, you're going to have to neutralize others. And these are all like, you know, th- these are all going to be kind of take time to study and generate a, a fairly big sample. I think we can look at, uh, you know, especially guys who have had multiple starts with uh, decreased spin rates, you know, Trevor Bauer, guys like that, we can look at that and say the performance might still not be ready to, to uh, make a, a diagnosis on, but we can look at the spin rates and say, okay, obviously something has changed. The, the flip side to that, that I would say in guys, uh, in, in regards to guys like Bauer or Cole or, or some of these other um, high profile names is that, We knew from the get-go that they were, you know, Bauer came out and basically said it. Uh, Cole's uh, spin rates ticked up over 300 RPM when he went from from Pittsburgh to Houston. Uh, We kind of knew this already, right? So the fact that it's changing again isn't really a new indictment, but it is more evidence, certainly. What do you make of the ruling or the opinion from players who state, look, I want the pitcher to have a good grip on the baseball and come September – in Chicago or New York or Philly, when the weather gets cold, I want a pitcher to be able to put something on their fingers to make sure they're throwing 100 and they know where it's going. Yeah, I think it's a little bit limited uh, because I, I think there's there are a few levels to this. And there is, there is um, you know, spin enhancing and then there's grip enhancing. And certainly one there, there can be some overlap there. But something that pitchers have used forever – uh, is is a combination of of sunscreens. Usually, Bullfrog is the yep. the brand and rosin. Right? They they'd have sunscreen on their arm. Uh, they'd use the rosin bag, and it created a a tackier. Uh, grip for the ball and it gave them a little more uh again grip or confidence in the ability to control the ball but but when it's been tested it doesn't really alter spin rates that much and spin rates are part of what make these uh up in the zone fastballs so effective because they they the ball doesn't drop as much as hitters would expect based on a normal trajectory uh it doesn't help you know higher spin rates help balls move more on breaking balls things like that um Bullfrog and rosin doesn't really do that. And so, you know, there's a measure of control that's gained, which 
you can certainly argue is performance enhancing, right? But it's one that maybe is beneficial to the hitter as well in terms of uh, not being worried about getting beamed with a with a 99 mile per hour fastball. Um, and then there are there, there's spider attack, which is a, a different thing altogether, or some of these homemade um, mixtures uh, or, or cocktails of uh, spider tack, of pine tar, liquid pine tar, uh, moda stick, which is a, a drier pine tar, you know, these types of things, which, which per- enhance performance in kind of a more dramatic way. You know, Craig, I'm a Red Sox fan, and so the Red Sox over the last week, in the wake of this, their starters getting hit like a pinata. They gave up 18 <laughs> runs yesterday to the Toronto Blue Jays, and it's been really, really ugly. And Red Sox fans are asking the question, the Red Sox starting pitching was good in April, decent at the beginning of May, and now it's falling apart like many people have projected the Red Sox to really have a tough time. Do you make anything of that? Can you draw a correlation, or is that just kind of the, you know, the Red Sox are coming back down to, the, to where they should be in terms of their starting rotation? I think if you are going to try and make that correlation, you have to look again at spin rates and and particularly at a metric called a Bauer unit. And yes, it's named after (laughs) Trevor Bauer. Um, But, but that type of analysis is, and, and people have looked at it so far and there's really not, much there. So I don't think it is because of this. I think it's more because of, uh, if I can quote Denny, uh, Dennis Green, they are who we thought they were, right? <laughs> I mean, this is in, in April, you know, in April and May, the, the Red Sox were being carried by a few things. One health, they, they hadn't been, you know, dinged up as much of the league. And that's, that's been a huge storyline this year that we've been tracking at BP is, you know, how many guys are, are using, you know, how many guys are landing on the IL, how teams are using them. And, and it's been a huge factor. The Red Sox have been really healthy to their credit. The other part we should point out, by the way, is that the Red Sox bullpen has remained very good. Obviously uh, the, their overall numbers are going to take, take a beating when Ryan Weber wears one like he did this weekend, but you know, he's doing the bullpen a favor in that case. Uh, the, the guys that they use consistently have been really good. And I think there's a good chance those guys remain good. Uh, but for the starters, yeah, I mean, you're going to get occasional runs of dominance out of Nathan Eovaldi. We've seen it before. Uh, mm. I've never been a Nick Pavetta uh, believer. I, I obviously, I think Eduardo Rodriguez is better than this. He's going through a tough spell. But guys like Martin Perez, uh, Nick Pavetta, Garrett Richards, Seeing them with an ERA over four makes a lot more sense than when it was in the low threes. You know what I mean? And I think yep. that's just common sense at this point. And it's kind of like regression hit all at once this weekend. Uh, for some <laughs> of these guys, I know Rod- Rodriguez has been struggling a little bit longer than that. But but I do think that he can right the ship and, and be kind of the front man in that rotation. And Eovaldi is probably fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with him. But if they're going to stay in this hunt, they're probably going to be looking for some rotation help, uh, you know, as the season wears on. Well, Chris Sale is pitching off of a mound now, so at least there is some help potentially coming without a trade. Some light at the end of the tunnel there, absolutely. Yeah, if he can come back. Evaldi goes tonight, today, tonight against the Blue Jays. Uh, Red Sox hoping to see a couple, a couple of good starts in a row after their starters really have been bad. What do you make? Let's stay in the division. What do you make of the Yankees right now? I mean, this is a team. You mentioned injuries that they can't stay healthy right now for their key guys. They've really been hit hard by the injury bug, but their starting rotation also is an issue. Yeah, it's interesting how they approach the offseason compared to the Red Sox, right? I think something that the Red Sox did really well and something I've, I've said over, over the, the offseason is that, you know, I didn't think they'd be this good, and I kind of think they're not this good, Boston, at this point. Mm. But, but what they did really well was create a ton of depth 
throughout the 40-man roster. And, of course, that's something that Tampa Bay has long been known for and part of why ownership brought in Heim Bloom in the first place, right? Um, it, these weren't uh, star-studded moves, right? But they were moves that he moved guys on and off the 40-man roster and really created a lot of options uh, to give you know guys like Christian Arroyo when they're playing. Like, okay, they're they're using him as a platoon bat, and and he's making the most of it, right? And they're making the most of it. And, and, and but again, that's not a high-profile move in any capacity. The Yankees, you know, they they looked uh, most of their moves are on the rotation side, and they bring in Corey Kluver and they trade for Jamison Tyon, and these are more like name value moves but the question was and what everyone looked at in the offseason was like okay both of those guys had thrown 37 innings over the last two seasons what are you actually going to get out of them and i don't even think they've they've been awful returns but they're going to be hit and miss and obviously kluber's back on the il again um and and the depth that we saw carry the Yankees through the 2019 season when every single guy that they brought in was all of a sudden you know, hitting for them, whether it was Cameron Mabin or Mike Talkman or whoever it was that they turned to, um, all of a sudden is is not there because they they didn't really reinforce it on, on the hitting side. You know, they brought back Brett Gardner, but everyone was kind of like, well, does he have anything left? Um, and, you know, the guys that they were relying on to take steps forward, Clint Frazier, just haven't really done it. Really, the only guy that's been consistent in any uh, way, shape, or form has been Aaron Judge, of all people, someone who, who in years past has been, you know, kind of decried for, for not being on the field as much as people wanted him. Uh, he's been, I think, in all but three games for the Yankees this year, and he's, he's hitting really well, but, but he's about the only one. Hmm. Craig, I got about two minutes left. Yeah. Are you a buyer or a seller on the Giants as they've blown 14 saves and yet they're off to a really good start even after that bullpen has not been great for the Giants? Can this be, you know, can they stay in contention in the West given who they're dealing with? I don't think so. I, so I, I'm kind of where I am with them on the Red Sox a little bit. Again, really good at assembling depth in the off season and then the last few off seasons, Farhan Zaidi has done a really good job with that team. They've earned where they've been. If you look at their run differential, a lot like the Red Sox, the Red Sox earned their record, uh, but it's just kind of unsustainable going forward. In my opinion, in terms of the division, I do think the giants can compete for the, the wild card or the second wild card, given that the Padres are also in the NL West. Um, but yeah, I kind of see them as both a, a team on the rise, a good team, but also one that, that has had, had some unsustainable luck and then some recent injuries, Evan Longoria being out for, you know, uh, six, around six weeks now. Hmm. I, I am really, I like them a lot. They're fun to watch, but I'm with you. I, they think, are. Yeah. I, I think they're kind of come back down to earth, but well, they're, a good, they're a good team, good feeling, but it's just not, again, like you said, come down to earth. Yeah. Craig, great stuff, man. Thank you for the time. Really appreciate you coming on. Pleasure talking to you. Have a great day. You too. That's Craig Goldstein, the editor-in-chief of Baseball Prospectus, joining us here on Pushing the Odds. Great stuff with him. And look, I, the, the Giants are a fun team, okay? And I think they're going to need to do something with that bullpen. I think they'll be active at the trade deadline. I, I, I mean, 89, 90 wins? I don't know. I just, I, I feel like that's going to be the the ceiling for the for the Giants. And, I, I mean, look at where they are right now. I mean, they're in first place. They're a game up. They're 40 and 25. They're 15 games over first place. Like, 
I, I think if you want to fade a team, I, I think the Giants are a team that you could probably look at to start fading. I think the Red Sox are also a team that you could be interested in fading. Red Sox are 39 and 27. They're three games back of Tampa. I mean, the Yankees are eight and a half games back of the Rays right now, which is remarkable. They're 33 and 32. They have a negative seven run differential for the New York Yankees. They've lost three games in a row. They got beat up badly by the Phillies over the weekend. Not good right now for the New York Yankees. They better pick it up or they're going to find themselves in quite the hole here by the time we get to the 4th of July. It's pushing the odds. Slovakia has beaten Poland and they are dancing on the pitch. I don't know how big of a deal this is, but it seems like a big deal. Slovakia beats Poland. Four to come here. Puts in the odds. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Eight hundred four three zero zero seven five eight. Eight hundred four three zero zero seven five eight. Eight hundred four three zero zero seven five eight. That's eight hundred four three zero zero seven fifty eight. Live from Las Vegas, here's Matt Peralt. Seven zero two two ten five one. Matt, the text line. If you guys are listening on Sports Grid Radio Channel two hundred four, you got lunchtime with Line Makers and Brian Blessing coming up. We on Sports Map will continue for two more hours, and we will talk to Puck Daddy coming up about Vegas and the Montreal Canadiens. I am really curious to hear his take on what happens here in this series. I have been in arguments. With Canadian people, like real full-on arguments on Sports Grid with Gabe Morenci. We were on for an hour the other night arguing about this on Twitter. Canadian people, like you guys, are the Yankees. It's incredible. If you're if you're a Montreal Canadian fan, you think your team is putting on the sweater and beating down on Vegas. Like it's just there. <laughs> it's really interesting. And the books are like, yeah. No. And everyone's saying value and variance, value and variance. Pucks bounce different ways. Home ice, not that big of a deal, right? Islanders won game one, so that means Vegas is going to lose game one. Eh, I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm more curious about the temperature here in Vegas and what the ice will look like tonight. 106 degrees, the hottest temperature in the four years that Vegas has played at T-Mobile Arena, what are they doing to protect the ice surface? Can they keep the building cold enough? And what do you do if the ice is a mess? And then what do you do on Wednesday if we do hit 117 degrees, which is the projected high for Wednesday? 117 degrees. Is T-Mobile equipped to keep water frozen when the outside temperature is 117 degrees, I don't know. I I, I just don't know. <laughs> Those guys. I I'm I'm very happy that I'm not in charge of making the ice surface playable tonight, and for more importantly, for Game Two, as the temperatures we're dealing with record highs potentially here in Vegas for just insane temperatures. 
while you're trying to play a winter sport. <laughs> Not too winter here in Vegas. It's pretty It's pretty hot. Buck Daddy coming up in 10 minutes. Dave Sherapin stops by for his Monday conversation for Sports Grid. I will talk to you guys tomorrow for Sports Map. Don't move. Two more hours to go here on a Monday. Lost in a sea of stats, averages, and injury reports? It's okay. Breathe. You found it. Sports gaming strategy.